Welcome, I'm assuming, introverts. Um, I think this is a little slanted audience that would come to a talk like this. And we're going to hopefully sort of walk you through the bits and pieces of what introverts are, what extroverts are, how that functions in emergency medicine, and how that actually functions in the world. And we're going to get to know each other. So one of the things I want you to start to rum rummage around in your book for, in your bag for, is a piece of paper and a pen. Because at some point, you're going to need a piece of paper and a pen. So start rummaging around now. So you can, it, it will help you if you have them, honestly. It's worth the participation. So because what we'll do is we'll wrap this up and come back to the end and figure out how this introversion, extroversion thing works in our jobs and in leadership, but also in your life. So that's the general gist. So rummage around and get a paper and pen, because we'll get there. So, as, oh, hang on. so the introduction for us. My name is Diane Berenbaumer. I've actually been on the education committee for ASEP. Um, I've been around here forever and a day. I'm on the faculty at Harbor UCLA Medical Center where I've been there for almost 30 years. And I'm a recent emeritus professor in that I actually decided to go part time and step down and sort of like step out of my sort of residency director role and end up working 60% time now down at Harbor UCLA. Been there forever, been part of sort of lecturing for ASEP forever. So I've been in front of sort of audiences for a long time. And we'll talk about it sort of as we get into introversion and extroversion, what that means to be standing up here in front of people talking. My partner in crime is Chris. Notice she, the terms she used for me. So anyway, my name is Chris Kang, and I have the pleasure of also being here on stage with Diane. Uh, I am a core faculty member at a residency program at a military medical center. I'm no longer active duty, but I found the academic environment thriving, which is one of the reasons why this topic was of great interest to me. And I also have had the privilege now of serving on several positions on state and national um, committees and groups for the American College of Emergency Physicians itself. Uh, moving on, always want to disclose any conflicts of interest we may have. And of course, first of all, this is a definitive lecture or presentation on leadership. Neither of us are personality experts, and the most important disclosure is what we discovered later on is that we're both introverts. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting. You may discover you're more of an introvert than you realize. So a couple things, just an overview about how and why this format's a little different, and we really appreciate all of you being here. Uh, first of all, this is a new area. Uh, they've taken, as Chad was here, they've taken the feedback from all of you over the last few conferences, and as always, we love the clinical things. If you have the same presenters, you have the same topics over and over again, is there something else as emergency medicine broadens where it's how you manage things or interacting with consultants? How do you work with teamwork concepts? So again, it's to find a different way of presenting things, different topics that may still be relevant to both your practice as well as your professional satisfaction. So this is a pilot testing. Chad figured out that this was a great idea, which I can, we both actually concur. And we want to experiment with how this. This will not follow the standard. Here's this information, here's this information, here's the evidence behind it. There are some elements of social science as well as some psychological studies that, that back this up. We'd really truly appreciate your feedback on the session. Any credit and any one thing wonderful things goes to Chad and Diane. Anything <laughs> bad comes to me. And of course, as Diane alluded to, your active participation is going to be important because what we want to do is also engage you in this a little bit because part of this is what you take away from it, whether it's core knowledge or whether it's something that you can use in your clinical practice. So the ASAP course objectives that they gave us were the following. Discuss the expectations of a leader in emergency medicine. Give examples of genuine leadership. Differentiate, uh, demonstrate different leadership types. And understand yourself as a leader. But when we were putting this together, we decided that it was probably a little better way to kind of organize this, to make it something that is applicable to both your life and your practice. So we sort of decided on a sort of 30,000-foot view of this. We're going to start a little bit with talking about society and personality and sort of what, what this concept is of personality and how it integrates just in your day-to-day -day lives. 
Then we're going to talk about the biology of it, because there is some biology to this. And if you sort of think about yourself and you over your lifetime and things that have sort of filtered through in your school and things you were called and if your friends described you or your parents described you, certain things that have been part of you for a really long time, some of which may actually be built in that actually were part of your biology. We'll talk about some of the definitions of things like introverts and extroverts and leadership. And then we'll talk about how these things interact. How, do, how does personality and leadership interact? And how does personality emergency medicine interact? One of the things that I've kind of discovered in putting this lecture together when we were reading about this is that we actually set up an environment that is not particularly conducive to helping all personality types be the best where we work. And we'll come back to that as well. And then we'll kind of wrap it with just a few take-home points for you as far as the conclusion of what you should sort of walk out of here with and hopefully something you can use in your, in your life. So let's start about with how we describe people. So as you can imagine, as uh, you may have heard Dr. Uh, Becky Parker's inaugural address as the new president of your college about talking about diversity and inclusion. Well, it may not only necessarily be gender or it may not only be ethnicity, but it can be other ways. So let's take a look at how we describe people. Obviously, male, female, transgender, however you want to describe it. Obviously, different ethnicities of all sorts. Uh, anybody read their astrological signs of fortune sometimes in the morning? Only people. if I like it, actually. I only read my astrological hor horoscope if I like it for the day. If I That's don't, correct. I just say it's bunk. And everyone look back retrospectively and go, yeah, no, that was yeah. kind of the way things went. <laughs> Obviously, Kappa or, or Vada, whether or not you believe in the Arabic, uh, religion can sometimes define people. We see that coming up in different parts of the world. And then, of course, my favorite is optimist and pessimist. And sometimes when my residents ask me, well, how would you describe yourself? I am a pessimistic optimist. The reason is I usually believe in the end things will work out, but what happens in the middle, who knows and expect the worst. But what about personality? Certain types of people, you know, carry themselves a different way. They like to function a different way, and the, the environments that in the way they work as well as thrive can also differ. And so how does personality affect, as Diane alluded to, the way you practice clinically or the way you interact with all of your colleagues? So, before we begin, one of the things we want to do is have you get engaged and start to identify some questions that will be of interest to you and will help you better understand what we're going to be talking to so next as we build the foundation. Mm -hmm. So, just off the bat, how many of you would you describe yourself as an extrovert or introvert? Just your gut reaction about you. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Just kind of just a kind of quick feel on that one. Or, as always, well, it depends. Maybe it's a little bit of both. How many of you would you describe yourselves as a leader? Okay. So I have a little bit of a... So hey. that's just a kickoff. Let's, let's dig deeper. Okay? Let's, let's kind of go through some questions that really probe this. So what I want you to do, we're going to go through three slides worth of questions. What I want you to do is write down true or false for the statement itself. So, just, and, yeah, so you might want to make a column of T's and a column of F's. And let's go through these and see sort of where you fall on the spectrum. I prefer one-on-one -on -one conversations to group activities. True or false? I often prefer to express myself in writing. True or false? I enjoy solitude. True or false? I seem to care less than my peers about wealth, fame, and status. True or false? I dislike small talk, but I enjoy talking in depth about topics that matter to me. People tell me I'm a good listener. I'm not a big risk taker. 
I was answering some of those until I just cut to that last question. It's like, well, I kind of, well, I'm out here taking this risk. <laughs> anyway, I always go with more questions. I enjoy work that allows me to dive in with few interruptions. I like to celebrate birthdays, or maybe not celebrate birthdays on a small scale, with only one or two close friends or with close family members. People describe me as soft-spoken or, or mellow. I prefer not to show or discuss my work with others until I feel that it is finished. I really, really, really dislike conflict. I do my best work when I work with myself, just by myself. I tend to think before I speak. I feel drained after being out and about, even if I've enjoyed myself. Quite applicable to this particular meeting, I would think. I often let calls go through to voicemail. If I had to choose, I'd prefer a weekend with absolutely nothing to do than one with many things scheduled. I don't enjoy multitasking. I can concentrate easily. In classroom situations, I prefer lectures to seminars or small group sessions. It's actually been hilarious up here watching you guys' heads. I've got this, I've got a lot of this going on out there. It's pretty great. <laughs> All right. So, now that you take a look at your list of those three pages of questions, the more truths you've had might suggest you're more introverted than you either thought you were, or that just validates that you think, that confirms what you've been thinking. However, one of the things that you probably start to say is, well, I'm not always this way, or this is not really, I'm a full, I'm kind of a little bit of an introvert or extrovert. So personality can be on a spectrum. So whether you're on the far left, infinite extroverted, or whether or not you're introversion, or the term in the middle is uh, ambiversion. And again, it depends a little bit on your environment, how you conduct yourself, and what you prefer. So we're going to expand on things a bit. I want to, I want to go back a minute to this ambiversion deal. So you'll look, if you look at this slide, the, the definitions that fall under those introverts, extroverts, talk about environments, stimulating environments. And one of the things we're going to build as we go through this lecture is that it turns out it's not necessarily an environmental thing that defines introversion and extroversion. It has more to do with energy and how you regenerate your own energy. And I want you to think about that as you go, we go through this talk, that this definition, this idea of the environment that you like, isn't necessarily what defines you as an introvert and extrovert. If you think about those questions we just asked, a lot of them have to do with um, not just environment, but the things that you use to regenerate. And we'll come back to that as well. So we're going to expand on things a little bit. I want you to write down, and the reason we're going to do this is as we get to the point where we could talk about emergency medicine and leadership, I want you to think about these characteristics that are helpful or perhaps harmful, depending on your personality, when it comes to your job and when it comes to leadership. So write down three positive things about being an introvert and three negative characteristics of an introvert that might be a problem or could be an issue. So like everything, there's sort of the two sides to everything. So think about it and write down just a couple of things that are positive characteristics of introverts and a couple of things that are potentially negative characteristics of introverts. And the same thing with extroverts. 
So sit down, just, you can just write on your paper, you know, introvert, positive, negative, you know, extrovert, positive, negative, and just write down a couple of characteristics. Because these will come up, if you think about your work environment, some of these things are the things that bug you about your colleagues, or the things that stress you about your job, that are things you can actually maximize if you approach this correctly. So we'll talk about these, and there, I think it's worth fleshing this out a little, especially if you think about your work environment, much more than your personal life, because we're kind of focusing on emergency medicine, but you look at your work environment. And then the characteristics of a good emergency physician, which we have this idea of what's a good emergency physician, write them down. But we're gonna see if maybe we're not totally right on those things that we think make us good emergency physicians. We may not be completely right on. And the same thing with leaders. Who's a good leader? What are the characteristics of a good leader? It turns out that may be a lot more broad than we think. So write down what your gut reaction is to these things, and then we'll come back to the end and kind of build why all of the personality types have a role in all of these particular um, areas of life. So we're gonna revisit them later. So if you've written down a few things, think about it as we go through the rest of this talk, and we'll sort of build this, you know, flesh out this sort of idea of, of the different personality types and how things work. Now, Chris is gonna talk about sort of how we're gonna build the rest of this. So as you take a look at yourself and start to maybe identify that maybe some of the things that you thought or did not even realize about yourself and maybe where you fall along that spectrum is what roles may that have in how you project yourself or how you function at work professionally. And then of course, we're thinking back, well, why is that the case? And this gets a little bit into that nature versus nurture thing that we'll dive a little bit deeper into in a little bit. And then of course, as we ask, we wanna find out what your thoughts are before we go further into this and see what some of the literature, some of the social sciences say about what you think are good characteristics of introverts and extroverts and what they really may or may not be applicable or not. And then of course, coming back to it, why you're here is how does that maybe have a role or what can you do to adjust to maximize both your satisfaction, well-being, as well as your productivity or other things in your interactions with your other colleagues while at work. And then of course that goes again into how about now if you are a leader and you describe yourself as a leader, how can you maximize that with the people that you work and lead? All right, so part one, we're gonna talk about sort of just now personality and society, introverts, extroverts, and society. Because we live in this incredibly out there society. We, we become sort of part of this thing that's called the extrovert ideal. Back at the turn of the century and up to even the 1940s and 1950s, basically being sort of thoughtful, being respectful, that was a, a very um, honored and, and um, a highly respected way to, way to interact, way to be. And we've become this very extroverted society. It's basically shoved down our throats every minute of the day. They are everywhere. And the words that we use, I made this slide a little while ago, but there you go. <laughs> and I think the fact that uninhibited ended up on that particular individual was fascinating. I didn't mean that to happen that way. But these words are important. You hear this charisma, exuberant, they're audacious, they're fantastic. They're, they, and it's all these, if you've ever been to a Tony Robbins seminar, I went to one because it was just the most, uh, it was eye-poppingly amazing. This guy was just, I've never seen, and he's six, like, six, 25 inches tall. I mean, he's a huge guy, and he's loud, and he's in your head, and everything is extroversion. It's shoved down our throats. And if you're an introvert, it's a little bit freaky, and it makes you feel like you're, there's something wrong with you that if you're not acting like this. The reality is, there are people who are extroverts who are really, really successful. In emergency medicine as well, Billy Mallon is amazing, Greg Henry's amazing, you've got Peter Jacoby, these really, really extroverted people who are fun to be around and very successful, but the reality is, this idea that all of us have to be shoehorned into being extroverts to be successful 
is wrong. And if you look at the people out there who are introverts, either self-professed introverts or introverts by every other sort of descriptor in the world, there are some phenomenally successful and highly contributory introverts in history. Bill Gates is a self-professed raging introvert. Rosa Parks is an amazing introvert. And if she hadn't done what she did and pair up with Martin Luther King at the time, who knows what would have happened with civil rights. That combo had to happen. Her introversion and his extroversion had to happen to make it sort of the things work. J.K. Rowling, she wrote her the most successful books in our current sort of lexicon of series of books sitting in pubs and coffee houses. She was dirt poor, totally an introvert, amazing introvert. Gandhi is an introvert. Lincoln was an introvert. Gates is an introvert. Christina Aguilera, amazing introvert, very, very introverted person. Diane Sawyer, all these remarkable, Warren Buffett, all of these people are introverts, including Albert Einstein. And Albert Einstein in school was described as mentally disabled or dull-witted because he was an introvert. Did not, was not at all successful in the schooling system where he started. Ended up actually doing beautifully in school where he ended up in an environment that was very conducive to his very thoughtful sort of sitting by himself style. Introverts have been very successful. And so, that, so what do we do now in this extroverted focused society with a lot of introverts that have a lot to offer? And how do we interface with that in emergency medicine? That's the key thing. There are introverts who have been very successful in emergency medicine. Steve Stack was president of the AMA. Alex Rosenau was president of our, of our college. Alma Matu is a wonderful guy, but he's kind of an introvert. So is Mel Herbert. These are people you know well. These are all introverts, and there are a lot of them out there running around among us that you may not know are introverts that are very, very successful, even in our job, in what we do. So the book Quiet, which is what Chad mentioned, this, is, this lecture was kind of born of this book. It's an interesting read. I highly recommend it. And the goal, this was the description in your brochure for this course that theoretically got your sort of interest involved in looking at this idea of being emotionally intelligent and being aware of personality, your own and others, and how we integrate that into our jobs, into leadership. So if you think about how we got here, we're going to start to go back now into some biology, and we're going to pass this off to Chris in a second. But if you think about just humanity, if everyone had been an introvert as we were evolving along the way, there would be no risk takers out there. No one would conflict, but we probably would have starved to death because no one was going to go out and fight the mastodon to go bring food back to the... To, but if, we, if everyone was an extrovert, we'd all be dead. We would have died out a long time ago. We would have procreated a million times because extroverts are you know, very sexual and very out there and they're that very much so. But we would have died off because we would have taken a bunch of risks and fallen off the cliff and gotten run over by the mastodon. So the reality is successful society has to have both. You need to have the, sort of the input of both. That's a crucial part of this. So as we get into evolution, let's talk about a little biology. Because there's a lot of this is based on biology as well. All right, I just saw a couple people's eyes roll over. Oh no, biology, pathophysiology, holy smokes. No, let's make it a little simpler because again, I'm a simple person. It's talking about temperament. All of you have seen children or babies when they're, and you know that some sleep better than others, some interact, some are much more agitable or irritable. Uh, when they're just sleeping or starting to grow a little bit. So temperament, and it's kind of a little bit of the emotional behavioral pattern that we still think that people are born with. Oh, that's a really good baby, sleeps through the night, never fusses, is always smiling. And that's kind of the, kind of the, uh, the nature that comes along. Versus a personality, which is more of a cultural influences and how as you, your experiences uh, accumulate as you continue to grow and evolve, and that's more of the nurture kind of part of it, and that's the why you act certain ways, but a lot of it becomes an interaction of the two. And so intro and extroversion are partly inheritable because of that baseline temperament, but part of it is also your background and as you are raised. 
talking about a little bit about some anatomy here at the amygdala and the limbic system here and how it plays a role. Obviously, we're talking a little bit more of that old brain. What really drives you? What's instinctual, primordial? And that is a little bit about the fear, the pleasure centers, and survival itself. And as Diane was mentioning about, as we evolved, again, the risk takers versus the ones who avoided conflict, how and where did our, both our um, species, but also our cultures thrived over the years. And again, some of this comes at birth. Again, some of those babies are just there. You can scream, yell, and they sleep perfectly fine. And others, the slightest little thing, will get them agitated or have them crying all night. And then a lot of these elements, because it's part of who you are, will last and persist through a lifetime. So again, some kind of stimulation. And as they've identified through some social sciences here, is what kind of babies or what kind of people when they first there and how they react to stimuli kind of helps uh, some idea of what kind of personality in terms of introversion or extroversion will come about. So believe it or not, those that actually don't really react to a lot of external stimuli, well, they actually become a little bit more of the extroverted versus the ones that are very sensitive to certain things will actually become your introverts. So that temperament there, again, those that uh, for introverts, highly empathetic, they're highly reactive, they're very emotional, and again, it can also be affected a lot by negative uh, experiences. So those who can sometimes dwell on things. As you can imagine, when you're highly sensitive, emotional about those kind of things, you can be prone to certain things such as anxiety and stress as well as depression. Versus the low ones who actually become uh, reactors, who become more of an extroverts. And again, these are the people that at least according to current thought about the extroversion ideal or the way our society is, are the ones that are go-getters. They go out there and they grab things and there's nothing there that's going to stop them. So they're not prone to that, let me dwell on this or let me review interest with suspicion about how and why something went wrong. It's, nope, I'm going to go full charge ahead. This is what I love. This is what I thrive on. As you can imagine, maybe in some political races or some others, uh, there are certain personalities. And I think Diane and I were thinking about that the other day is, even as this presentation was being developed, there's a certain election that kind of seems to play between an extrovert and an introvert, which is a little bit more of a context of how our society is. But they can sometimes be described as bullies, delinquents, and sometimes criminals. And I'm not going to say that the, all three of those words apply to one of the presidential candidates. <laughs> so We keep trying to keep politics out of this. Yeah, this is well, hard. it's me and the risk-taking that I'm doing. <laughs> so as we take a look a little bit. But however, just in that primordial sense in the limbic system and the amygdala and your pleasure-seeking behaviors, there's also obviously the other parts of their brain that may have an influence, right? We've talked about that frontal lobe, people who suddenly, yep, they have no frontal lobe. As soon as they think of something, out it comes, versus those that, it, no, they kind of dwell and think about things. So there's another part here that we should talk about as well. And so, how now are these two different parts of the brain that can interact? One is the primordial about, hey, this is a reward, I want to do more, and I get more, versus another one that becomes a little bit more cautious, a little bit more of, hey, let's think this through, let's make sure maybe we shouldn't take this kind of risk or not, Maybe we should think through a little bit of parameters. And so introverts, as you can imagine, might have a little bit more predominance, whether it may be a little bit of temperament or a little bit of their personality, about when and where that frontal lobe maybe comes in. And now we talk about the old primordial brain versus the new brain and a little bit more of critical thinking and how you interact. As you can imagine, if you only have one part of your brain going full charge ahead, snap decision, no frontal lobe, which is exactly what happens. They speak their mind. Having said that, if you have that other lobe and it now starts to interact with the other two, Sometimes some of your reactions and sometimes your decisions may take a little longer. So brain imaging has actually demonstrated that there is this interaction where they take a look at different parts of the brain, how active they are, and how they interact. Again, not every single person only has 100% of this or 50-50. 
There are differences, but just to let you know that there are other parts of the brain that you can use and utilize in addition to your experiences, in addition to your primordial sense or your pleasure seeking and the amygdala to help you on how it's you react. It's fascinating. The research on this, they use um, basically the functional MRIs, the MRIs that actually show what your brain is doing when they present you with a, with a, with a question or a situation or a decision. And they've looked at the brains of high reactives and low reactives, of introverts and extroverts, and they have mapped the, what your brain activity is as you process a problem. And there are these two distinctly different pathways. There are the people that really engage that prefrontal cortex to think it through, and then the people that go right to sort of the, the limbic system. And this is the, if you look at the scans, these, I tried to get some pictures for this because it was fascinating. The scans are remarkable. The br t different parts of the brain are lit up bright depending on sort of how you are, are responding as sort of an introvert or extrovert to a particular question or situation. So, obviously, I talk about anatomy, there's got to be some role of neurotransmitters as well. And of course, when we talk about the limbic system and we talk about that, so we talk about dopamine as that uh, neurotransmitter for the pleasures. And so as you can imagine, extroverts will probably have a more predominance of that, or at least it's a, a little bit, uh, they're more sensitive to that part, if I can use that term. And uh, that ties into the reward or risky behavior. Versus the introverts who are a little bit more of acetylcholine, and there they're more responsive to rewards, but then they're also threat sensitive. And it's not just that frontal lobe, and let me make sure I think through this, but it's also, is this really worthwhile? There's a difference, I think, that we'll touch upon later. There's a difference between shyness and introversion. They're not the same, but it's that idea that maybe there's a, a little bit more risk avoidance versus I'll take the risk for the reward. And so what characteristics could you imagine derive this from these kind of different personalities? But it comes down to a little bit of anatomy, a little bit of pathophysiology, and a little bit of neurotransmitters. So as we mentioned, the introverts, Maybe certain politicians, can I insert that again? No, um, get this reward where all of a sudden they get this and they keep going and going and it comes a cycle and they feed themselves. They're very good at making rapid decisions. They can understand and take social pressures because that stimuli that they get, they have a goal and that's what they're gonna go for and they don't necessarily take time to stop thinking way through things necessarily all the time. And so they're also the ones that you can imagine they can handle a lot of information because that's what they thrive on, whether it's social cues, whether it's engaging other people, the numbers, or different stimuli. However, as you can imagine, again, without that frontal lobe but without some of that longer pathway sometimes, they can be more prone to making quote-unquote impulsive decisions. And then, of course, along with that, quick decisions sometimes can become mistakes. Right, so if you think about that list of sort of goods and bads that you made a little earlier, if you think about this now, these terms in, in terms of our work, you know, the kinds of decisions you make in your job, the kinds of medical decisions we have to make, the social things that come into our job, you can see how all of these things now start to integrate both positive and negative in how we practice our jobs. Same thing again, not to reinforce, but to go over it too, much, too many times. But again, introverts, a little bit more sensitive. Do I really want to take this risk? Is this really worthwhile or not? Let me go ahead and take this. We all may have an element of that, obviously, when you decide to pursue higher education or pursue some other goals, putting aside some other things. So that delayed gratification also may play a role and a factor in that as well. So it's not all biology. It's not all just your limbic system and sort of reacting to threats and rewards. And it's not all processing. And it's there is you have. It's not all just hardwired. You have some some role in this, and that's the role of free will. So you, if you know you're an introvert, you know that standing in front of people and giving a lecture is your idea of hell on earth. And actually, my major, like, I'm an introvert moment that I had, where it was this, like, oh my god, I am, was my wedding. I had more fun planning my wedding. I had this rocket wedding. I had stuff. I was like planning the best party ever. And then my sister said, "You're getting married in 15 minutes. Are you gonna get dressed?" I was like, "Oh." 
I have to like go up there. I have to like be in front of people. Terr terrifying. Like, I want to do the party part. I don't know. Terrifying. So the reality is you can though get yourself into, you can, based on your free will, you can basically act out of character. So if you are an introvert or an extrovert, you can act out of character because you basically have something you care passionately about. If it's something you really, really care about, you can run for the ASAP board. You can stand in front of people and give a talk. You can end up being a leader in an organization or in your hospital or something that's very important to your PTA, whatever's important to you. It may be out of your bailiwick. It's out of your comfort zone, but you care passionately about that. So you'll step out. I love the quote here. I'm an introvert. I don't like being in the limelight, but I do just run through it occasionally because it's things I really care about. That's important. So they can be good leaders and speakers, no question. And you can train your brain to overcome fear. You do it in tiny doses. You don't do it by immersing yourself and talking at, you know, at a national ASAP you know, conference first thing. You do a little sort of local talk. You do little tiny bits and pieces. It does get to a point though where you can actually push it a little too far. And there's a thing called behavioral leakage, which I, I think you can be like adult pampers for. But no, it's a you, what happens is, is you finally get past your comfort zone, you'll find yourself starting to do things that are your natural personality. You'll find yourself closing off your body language, sitting at the edge of the table, sitting in the back of the room. You'll find, it's called behavioral leakage. Whatever your normal personality, you'll be sitting at the front of the table if you're an extrovert. That will, that will sometimes leak out. The key is finding sort of the sweet spot with this. And the recharge is key. One of the things that's become crucial, and we don't do this in our jobs at all, the, the, the recharge for people who are introverted is quiet and peace and away. The recharge for extroverts is interaction and, and sort of sound, and, and the recharge is a very important thing, and that probably is what the most defining thing about introverts and extroverts. And what you do in your personality is this rubber band. You are elastic, so you've got to find this sweet spot, this place where your flow is the best, where your temperament fits the situation the best. And we, instead of being forced into this, we do this to our children all the time. We put kids in these group, you know, discussion groups, and your kid may get graded as you know, not participatory. Maybe your kid's just an introvert. Maybe your kid does much better on their own and they're being forced and shoehorned into this sort of situation where they're supposed to interact. It's the same thing. You can learn to overcome the problems, but there is a sweet spot for everybody here where, you're, where you function at your best. You push a little here, you give a little there. I love this quote. After an hour or two of being socially on, we introverts need to turn off and recharge. My own formula, this is an author for the Atlantic Monthly, my own formula is roughly two hours alone for every hour of socializing. This is not antisocial. This isn't a sign of depression. It does not call for medication. I'm fine. For introverts, being alone with our thoughts is restorative, as restorative as sleeping and as nourishing as eating. Our motto, I'm okay, you're okay, in small doses. Okay, and this is key, this is key. Everyone is fine. The reality is finding your optimal state, finding the balance between sort of being active and, and restoring yourself, being active and reflective. And finding restorative niches is very important. If you, I, have a, I have a recent graduate from our program who is the most um, thoughtful person about this. She really understands this. And she sits down at the end of a shift and thinks about sort of how, what, how she did and how she needs to kind of recharge herself. She sits down at the end of a year and figures out, is she balancing things enough to restore herself? She knows if she's going to be talking in front of people, she needs a good night's sleep ahead of time. She needs really quiet time that morning for an hour or so, and give herself sort of downtime after to keep herself in that lovely sort of sweet spot for her. It's really important to optimize your personality. Yep, I'm very much an introvert, even though I may, very much, may seem very much out there and come across as quite social, because introverts are social. Okay, we'll come into that some more. Yeah, so if I can give a little bit of a share hand first experience in that to have this transition here. 
I've been here for now the last four days participating in your council meeting and a whole bunch of other activities. My schedule yesterday was from 7 a.m. until 8 p.m. and I had meetings, sometimes double booked. I'm an introvert, but I have to go out there, I have to meet people, I have to learn what they care about and be engaging. And yet afterwards, going to the opening party as much as I wanted to see that and celebrate that, staying there for a long time with all of those people, too much for me. So a little tradition that I've started here with Chad is that we had a nice little quiet dinner, and probably at least 30% of the time was just sitting there in silence and just eating. But he and I have found that common bond, but that hour and a half just allowed me to recharge because I have another three days here of meetings. So again, it's an idea of finding what works for you and what doesn't work for you, and then how can you adjust it to help optimize how you do. So some definitions and characteristics now that we've had a little context of maybe some examples in real life, we've had a little bit of anatomy and pathophysiology to understand where some of this may be coming from, is now when, as you know, there are a whole bunch of different tools that corporations, businesses, and professional organizations use to help identify good candidates, good leaders, help mentor them, or identify some deficiencies. And so one of them is that big five, OCEAN, and we substituted stable for more of neuroticism that usually is used in the acronym there. But I want you to take a look, as Diane highlighted before, that there are certain definitions. Shyness and introversion are not the same. Well, extroversion and agreeable are not necessarily the same. They are distinct. And so to identify those different elements, you see it now that's being used in the real world. Another one, when I first came across this several years ago about the Myers-Briggs personality type indicator and started to take it, how many of you take those, uh, sometimes those questions like on Yahoo about what kind of Patronus or what kind of movie <laughs> character are you or anything else? And you get the answer and you go, where did this come from? Is it really accurate? Is it more just a promotion for the movie industry or whatever it is? But I took this myself, and the answer mildly surprised me as well. So if and when you have not heard of these, but there's a whole bunch of different personality types that this testing uh, kind of indicates that you may fit in, and it derives on four different ways that you either interact or process information. And so part of it is introversion or extroversion. Do you get stimuli from outside, or do you get it from inside, from within? Do you more go with your gut feeling, or do you actually go with more evidence and the things that you have seen, observed, and collected as stimuli? Do you think, or you just feel? Kind of more of, again, that old versus new brain and then judgment and perceiving and how you utilize that information and stimuli there. As you would imagine, it's not always the most scientific. It's not always perfect, and then there are flaws there, and there are some perfectly valid uh, criticisms of them. You've Chris, never I were talking it. about it yesterday, though. We both have taken this several times, and we both fall on the same one every, well, every time. I fall on the same one every single time. That's not necessarily a good or bad thing. We yeah, won't even tell you which one we are, but anyway. But again, this is how it contexts out, as you can imagine. Again, those four different factors and how you utilize, get information, process it, and how you decide to act. And it will describe a little bit better indicator of your personality, how you function. Again, not always perfect, but we'll dive into the first one because that's what we're talking about is extroversion and introversion. So can you be described as talkative but outgoing? Now you can see how I asked you some of those questions from before about how you responded, true or false. Could you be described as more reserved or private? Do you tend to think of things inside your head versus you want to get and say things out there and get feedback from others? So again, extroversion versus introversion and how that plays in. So now let's get a little bit more into the actual definitions, at least what's available. And so again, an extrovert, outgoing, gregarious person. Billy Allen, right? Prime example. But in psychology, it's also a person that, again, is concerned with the physical and social environment. And again, we go back to that reactive versus maybe non-reactive or less active person. And of course, by extension there, that adjective that's used there. So what in common do you see is some good and not so good traits of extroversion? And that's what we ask you to do. And so you listed some items there, the top three characteristics. They're obviously outgoing, so they can be very assertive. They can be identified as social butterflies. They're activity-driven. 
they're people-oriented. They want that stimulus. They thrive on it. That's how they recharge. That's where they get their fun. That's where they are in the best environment for the function. They love to socialize. Not so good. If they are lacking that stimuli, they can obviously get bored easily. And we're not necessarily talking about ADHD, but that's just the way their personality and their temperament is driven. They can sometimes be judgmental because they, again, make those decisions very rapidly. And they can sometimes thrive on conflict because they need that uh, stimuli and that interaction. Okay, well, on the opposite, well, what is an introvert? And so it's one who tends to be more interested in, in their inner feelings and how then their thoughts and how it interacts with the outside world. So again, the definition. And of course, this one here brings, brings to the idea of are you self-centered? And it's not necessarily egotistical. It's more of, again, of centering on yourself, where you're looking for that information. So again, just be careful of some of the terms and definitions. You want to make sure that I'm not always perceived as that much of an egotistical person, <laughs> although some of my residents would probably say I am. So, do you you know? can find introversion in the DSM-2 as a diagnosis. Yeah. It, can, it used to be considered psychologically abnormal to be an introvert. So you have to be a little careful on this because it, this, this idea of self-centered and this used to be considered abnormal to be an introvert. So again, as you can imagine, what are some of the good traits and not so good traits of introverts that you listed that you identified and how do they correlate with some of the more common or typical definitions and characteristics? So they can be creative because they look inward, right? We talked about Albert Einstein and look what he did. Talk about focusing on recharging with quiet. Again, they don't need that external stimuli. They don't want to have the conflict. They don't want, to, they're risk averse. They want to focus and concentrate on that one task and get it done well versus get interrupted multiple times. So they enjoy that peace and quiet. They want to minimize the amount of stimuli. And again, they can actually, that's also interacts now with how they work and what kind of environment do they really thrive in and can they make adjustments for it. Not so good, as I mentioned earlier, they're prone now to more anxiety and depression, depending on if that inward thought goes a little too far, some of that stress level there, they start to dwell on it, they can overthink things. And often five times as well that they feel inadequate. And of course, if they're more necessarily, for lack of a better analogy, focus on one task because that's what they want to, that's what, how they function, obviously then they, multitasking becomes a little bit of an issue sometimes. I think all of you have felt that sometimes when you're on shift and all of a sudden you have another patient come in, the nurse wants to talk to you about this, and oh, by the way, there's a phone call there, and I just drunk. It's just like, can I just take one at a time, please? Unfortunately, don't always have that control. So, talk about some other... Yeah. This here. is the money slide. If you kind of want a list of all the things that fall under, when we went through this to kind of figure out, if this is the money slide on where, what the characteristics are kind of together, how does, how, which ones of these end up being an issue at work? Or if, or if you decide to be in a leadership role, which are the ones that end up being potential stumbling blocks or areas that we might be able to actually address and maximize for people? So, Chris, for the extrovert yep. sort of group. Respond quickly, jump into things, bring into action, right? Other things, developed ideas through interaction. I want to talk. I want that group thinking. I want that brainstorming with 10 other people. This is the person who's going to interrupt you and say, can I run this case by you? Oh, right? Yeah. This is the person at work that wants to get your input. They like that. They're, this is part of that. A little bit of that. Maybe the frontal lobe, that frontal lobe is not as necessarily as active, that pathway is a little shorter, so they speak what they're thinking. Again, it's part of it is how they derive their pleasure, but also how they derive stimuli, conflict, social engagement. Well, and if you're a medical director, that may be the person you're getting the complaints about, right? They walk into the patient's room and they say what they're thinking because that's just part of their personality. That doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, but that may be one of the things if you're a leader to kind of feel out and see is this, um, is this because their personality is such that they just need to learn to, again, rubber band back a little from that just speaking out kind of deal. And then again, part of it is how they derive their, and use their sensory and their stimuli is I want as much information as possible. So if I'm not getting from some folks, I'm going to provoke it or I'm going to seek it out. 
Right, and that, and that mental, that sort of jousting thing, that's the consultant issue, right? They have a dis, you know, disagreement with the consultant. An extrovert may deal with that very differently than an introvert. And that may be this sort of verbal jousting that gets also some issues that may come up at work that may need to be learned to be dialed back. The introverts like quiet for concentration and think about our environment where we work. It, there is none. But there are ways to address this that we just ignore rather than trying to address. But why do we have our doctor's working spaces out in the middle of places or where traffic walks through or where somebody has music playing in the background or where you could just add more and more stimuli to that? If the quiet environment works for some people, there needs to be a place for them to go to be quiet to maximize the way that they work. Trouble communicating is definitely a problem for introverts, and that may be something where their communication with a patient, for instance, may not be, why are you here? But their communication, communication with a patient may be that they're, they're, they turn sideways, they're closed, the patient thinks that they're not paying attention to them, so that's important. They, may, they don't like interruptions, and there's no job that has more than ours is our job for interruptions. Apparently I have 10 minutes to wrap up, I got it, thank you. Um, so interruptions we can minimize, we absolutely can do that. And they like to work alone. And that's not a bad thing. So, that, so understanding that, it's, that both these personality types in our work environment can be helped to be the best they can be possi possibly be, we can address this without a question. So a couple other things we want to address before we get into some solutions to this. Extroverts are smarter is something you hear a lot that has absolutely never been proven true ever, ever when they've done studies in this. And the idea that introverts are antisocial is not true. They're just differently social. They like to be social in smaller, smaller deals. I'm an introvert, but I'm not shy. And the reason that alcohol is poured at a lot of these things isn't just for the extroverts to party down. It's also for the introverts to get a little tiny dose of extroversion. They get a little bit looser. It's the social lubricant. It's a little bit easier than to communicate and get past to the next stage. Now, the leadership thing is what we also want to focus on here. And the thing about leadership is basically the definition is the act of leading a group or of people or an organization or the position of being a leader. And the question is, if you're an introvert, how, do you be, how are you a leader? Can you be a leader? And the answer is absolutely yes. Not all leaders have to be extroverts by any means. And think, we're going to talk about it, sort of wrap this with how those two things interact. Knowing that introverts are conflict avoiders, okay, and that they, that they don't like that whole conflict, and that extroverts can, don't mind it and actually can kind of cope through that, you can actually blend these two skills quite well. And it, it turns out that one, the introverts are great at leading extroverts, and extroverts are great at leading introverts. The, the introvert, introvert, extrovert, extrovert, as far as leadership, is not quite as successful of a blend, and we'll get into sort of describing that in a sec. So if you are in a situation, you are now a leader, you are in the emergency department, what you really need to do is consider your temperament, sort of are you a conflict avoider, do you not mind conflict, who are you, and who are they? And figuring that out really helps you find, find how to deal with people, both in the leadership role and in, in patient interaction, nursing interactions, et cetera. And understanding that some people are, feel very threatened, some people love the reward, and feeding into that, using that as part of your skill set. And that means you need to be emotionally intelligent. You need, to under, you need to think about this. It has to get factored into how you interact with people and how you sort of view yourself. So understanding this emotional intelligence, there's been a whole gazillion books written on emotional intelligence that are very, very helpful and very, very important in understanding this and how people interact with one another. So we're going to biz through part four. So as Diana's alluding to, knowing a little bit more about what your personality is like, knowing what your environment is like and how you can optimize that, but also knowing a little bit and remember to take into context of the people that you're working with and your position. So personality can affect whether you're working on shift with your team, with your nurses, with your colleague in the same side or the other side of the room, versus whether or not you might be functioning on a hospital committee or a work group, or whether or not it might be in a leadership position in a professional organized medicine. So again, there's a lot of different ways, and this is one of my passions is identifying good people 
shaping their emergence as leaders because it's my firm belief that our organization and our specialty are going to need leaders at every level if we're going to continue to fight all of the things that have been coming down and that we're confronted with uh, over the last few years, whether it's regulation, whether it's other organizations telling us how we should do or how we should practice. And as Dan alluded to, there is a great dynamic that between introverts and extroverts, and we've seen this in both history with the Roosevelts, that will, has that blend of risk-taking versus conflict avoidance, et cetera. And so again, knowing who you're with, identifying those personalities can be very helpful. So can an introvert be a good immersive practitioner? Absolutely. Are the corollary, are extroverts the best leaders? Not necessarily. But because of the environment, multitasking, because of the amount of stimuli, you would think that extroverts, obviously, it favors that environment. They can handle that. They don't mind the, the disruptions. They don't mind that conflict sometimes, whether it's this demand on this time or this demand on this time or my consultants or my, even my patients, unfortunately. But identifying those factors, identifying when you need to recharge, identifying your team and how you can best pull, uh, promote the best out of both you as well as your other members is a key part of being a leader, again, depending on what part of the group that you want. Same thing that if you are a follower and you know a leader is a different type, knowing and when in your role or how you can facilitate that relationship is also important. So we need to understand those different types of personalities and how we can best utilize them. Great slide here, a lot of different things here. Just want to highlight a couple, but how do you uh, take care of someone who's an extrovert? So again, you want to compliment them in front of others. They thrive on that reward. They thrive on that engagement. They also need some stimuli, so they also like a lot of information. So maybe number four, allow them to explore things, talk things out, they go ahead and throw things out because that's how they function, that's how they think. Let them dive right into some projects. How about for introverts? Again, inward expecting, knowing that they're a little prone to anxiety and depression, maybe embarrassing them or admonishing them in public may not necessarily be the best format. Allowing them to teach and learn and utilize new skills in a private environment. Don't push them to have to engage in some activities that may not necessarily are needed for or that because that's the way we've always done things. So moving to part five all is right, how we apply that to medicine. We're going to have to put this all together. So first of all, the first thing when you leave here now is to think about who you are. So yourself, what, what, and you kind of already know, you guys are adults, you know, but the kinds of things, what, where are you on that personality? Are you in the middle? Are you an ambivert? Do you need sort of the, the quiet time to sort of reflect? What, do you thrive on the parties? And just know, and know where your best flow is. Know your sweet spot. That's really, really important. Figure out where you are in that rubber band. And then when you're dealing with other people, figure out who they are. And before you rush to judgment, stand back a second and watch them. You can tell a lot about somebody by, you know, do the, do the can, you can tell they get stressed out if interruptions are bugging them, or you can see how they just thrive on that crazy environment. Watch them because it'll help how you interact with them, no matter who they are, nurses, patients, consultants, in you know, lead, group leaderships. It's key. Effective leadership is not about making speeches or being liked. It's basically based on results. And Bill Gates basically said, as we look ahead into the next century, leaders will be those who empower others. Introverts empower extroverts. You can help extroverts be more reflective. Introverts are very good at slowing everything down and getting extroverts to kind of stop and think. And vice versa, extroverts are good at getting introverts to step outside of themselves and really take the risk and be on the committee. It's really important. So if you're working with an introvert, basically make sure that they have some time alone if you can. Give them, if they need privacy, consider headphones or something. Give them a place that's quiet. It's really important. Get a workspace away. Find a little quiet space. Find your introvert workspace. So they have a place they can go and not get interrupted a million times and not have tons of noise. And then minimize the, the sort of as much interaction as you can if you're working with introverts. That's really key. And then the successful partnership is bringing out the best in each other. We talked about that, empowering the other sort of personality type to be their best. 
Um, the passive employees are best, sort of, or passive people are best led by extroverts and vice versa. And if you're an introvert, so and I think most, I think there's a self-selected group in here. So if you are an introvert in here, you want to know why you need to be a leader. Here are seven reasons that you're a better leader than an extrovert might be. You are a better listener. You often are better prepared when you go into that meeting. You go deep, okay? You basically do depth over breadth. You don't mind being alone and thinking about it. You keep your cool. You give people more freedom, and you're really good decision makers. So think about who you are. Think about your leadership role. And the end of this is know your personality, embrace it. Know the person has other people around you. And know that every, respect everybody's personality type and maximize them. I appreciate your being here. Extroverts unite. Introverts unite. Go. Thank you. Thank you.